Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast of the Fires of Revival podcast. I am your host, Colton Prater, and I pray today's episode will be a help and an encouragement to you. Please don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast with others. And now for the episode. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2, just as quick as you can get there. That ought to be easy to find because it's the uh, first part of the New Testament. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then Luke chapter 2 is just a page or two into the book. Uh, Luke, of course, was a medical doctor that was mightily used of God. God uses all kinds of people. And uh, Luke was one of the four men that the Holy Spirit chose to record for us the record of the earth and life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And I love this gospel record. It's powerful. You know, doctors just look at things differently. And they show you a perspective on things that you might not otherwise see. Luke particularly talks about the humanity of Jesus, that he was all man. In fact, Luke, of all of the gospel writers, tells us more about the birth, the boyhood, and the youth of Jesus than any of the other gospel writers because this is a a physician that God is using his gifts but yet giving him what God wants recorded and it's powerful now I I venture to say that in the last few weeks most of you have been in Luke chapter 2 what's Luke 2 famous for look at the first part of Luke chapter 2 what's there all right the Christmas story so probably you read it certainly you heard something preached from Luke chapter number 2 This morning, I want to take you to the other end of Luke chapter 2 because sometimes we pay attention to these really famous scriptures and then we neglect the rest. you got to get the rest of the story. Come down in Luke chapter 2 to verse number 40. We're going to read just a few verses. Luke 2 verse 40 says, And the child, that's Jesus, grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, And the grace of God was upon him. Let me just pause right there and say, that's what we're praying for everybody in this room today. That's what your parents are praying for you. That's what your pastor's praying for you. That one verse. And before this day's done, by the time we come back this evening, I'm going to come full circle back to this verse. So when I come back to this verse, you'll know we're almost done. Look at verse 41. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Stop, lift your head and look at me just a moment. How old is Jesus when they go up to the temple in this passage? He's 12. Anybody in this room 12? Would you raise your hand? Any 12-year-olds? Very good. Congratulations. How many of you have at least been 12 at one point? Would you raise your hand? Good. I was 12 at one point. I was preaching here in North Carolina a few weeks ago, and I was walking out of my hotel to be picked up, and A ride wasn't there yet, and there was a man standing outside, a worker. And I had my Bible in my hand, and he saw me and saw the Bible. (laughs) And, you know, people see you carrying a Bible, they do one of two things. They either want to talk to you or they want to turn around and go the other direction. This man saw me and saw my Bible, and he said to me, Could I ask you a question? (laughs) And I said, Yes. He said, Do you think this is the end of the world? And we started talking about all that's going on in the world, and I had the opportunity to talk to him about Christ. And uh, found out that he had made a profession of faith, wasn't living for the Lord, and God was working on him. It was a divine appointment. And in that conversation, he looked at me and he said something I'd never heard said quite this way before. He said, would you like me to tell you the scariest day of my life? And I said, sure. What was the scariest day of your life? He said, it's when I turned 12 years old. He said, my 12th birthday was the most frightening day of my life. 
And I said, why was that? He said, well, in my family and our religious upbringing, we were taught that you're not accountable for anything you've done until you're 12. And when you turn 12, suddenly, magically, you're accountable to Almighty God. Now, that, that particular group took that from this scripture. The idea was that because we see Jesus first as a young man at 12 years of age, then that's when you're accountable. That's not what this passage teaches. That's not all what it teaches. But somehow this guy had in his mind that the, the scariest day of his life was the day he was suddenly accountable to God. Let me tell you, it is a fearful thing to think that you're going to answer to Almighty God someday. Now, that's not just true when you turn 12. No, you're answerable to God all of your life. And there's a moment early in life where you become accountable because you start understanding certain things. I don't know exactly when that age is, but God does, and you do, and all of you have reached it or you wouldn't be here today. So you are accountable to God. I, I said to him in turn when he finished telling me his story, I said, can I tell you the greatest day of my life? He said, sure, what was that? I said, the greatest day of my life was the day that somebody told me that I didn't have to just be afraid of God. I could know him, and he would forgive my sins. That was the most exciting day of my life. So here we see Jesus as a 12-year-old young man, and he's with his parents, and he's in the temple. Now, keep reading. Look at verse number 43. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they had found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Old Vance Havner, who was a preacher from here in North Carolina, said that Jesus' parents lost him at church, and they weren't the last people to do that. That's a pretty good statement. But actually, let me tell you the, the setting here because it seems a little weird. Somebody said, how on earth could they not know their son was with them? Because they traveled in caravans of family and extended family to go up to the temple for this holiday to worship and sacrifice. And they're coming back and they just imagine he's with aunts and uncles and he's with other people. And, and then suddenly, uh, after a little while, they realize we haven't seen him in a while. They start counting heads and realize somebody's missing. And guess who's missing? Jesus is missing. So they turn around. Can you imagine the panic inside of them? And they hightail it back to Jerusalem, and they're searching for Jesus. Any of you ever been left by your parents? I'm just curious. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. Tammy and I left one of our girls one time at a wedding. It was terrible. She was very small, too. That's awful to say, isn't it? But we left. We had driven two vehicles. Preachers and their wives never drive together. We always come at different times. And so we had driven two different vehicles, and we left the wedding, and we went to a restaurant to eat. And I got out of the car. Tammy got out of the car, and I saw the other two kids, and I said, where's Lauren? She said, she's with you. And I said, no, she's not. She's with you. And she said, no, she's not. And at that moment, our cell phone rang, and the voice on the other end said, are you all missing someone? And we had to turn around and go back and get her. So I got a little feeling what Joseph and Mary must have been thinking here. And when they arrive, they don't have to search long. Look what the Bible says in verse number 46. And it came to pass that after three days, he's being lost for three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? I wish I could read that like she said it. How many of you know your mama has a certain tone? Like when it goes up an octave, this is not a good thing, you know? 
I guarantee she did not say, son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? No, no. She's pretty angry. She's exercised. She's worked up. Why have you done this to me? You gave me and your daddy a heart attack. What were you thinking? Where have you been? And look at his answer. She said, Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said to them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not. Now, the Bible says in verse 47, he had understanding, but in verse number 50, they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I think that verse 40 and verse 52, both of these are like summary verses, are great bookends on the youthful years of Jesus Christ. See, there's only one perfect teenager, and it's not you. And it wasn't me. Everybody turn and look at your neighbor just a second. Don't look at me. You've got to stare at your neighbor. Just look at them in the face, gaze at them for a moment. Look at them. Don't look at me. Just stare at them for a second. Some of you sat next to the wrong person. I'm very sorry about that. Just look at them for a moment. Let me ask you a question. Is the person you're looking at a perfect person, yes or no? Absolutely not. Some boy just said to his girlfriend, yes, yeah, she's perfect. No, she's not. She's not perfect. Look back at me just a second. Let me let you in a little secret. Not only is that person not perfect, the person they were looking at is not perfect. And do you know why that is? Because we're all sinners, every one of us. But there was one perfect teenager. His name was Jesus. I know he was perfect because he lived a sinless life all the way through. If he had not been sinless, he could not have been the Savior. If he had sinned, he could not have been our substitute and our sacrifice. So we know that even in the youthful years of the Lord Jesus, he was sinless. He was, he was without blemish and without blame. And I want to stop and say, thank you, Jesus, for being the sinless Son of God. He was all God, but he was all man. Somebody said, explain that to me. I can't. I can't. I could try to illustrate it for you, but I can't explain it to you because he is infinite God, and I'm a finite person. Let me use a real theological term. It means I'm a pea brain. That's what it means. And it means that you and I as pipsqueaks can't wrap our minds around what God did. All I know is that God became a man without ever stopping to be God. In other words, deity put on humanity like a coat. He was not 50% God and 50% man. No, no, he was 100% God and 100% man, and he was the perfection of both. He was all God and all man. That's powerful to me to think. And we, we celebrate that, of course, at Christmas time. But the implications go far beyond that season of the year. And here in Luke chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, we get one little snapshot, one picture. That's all you get of the youthful years of Jesus. Somebody said to me the other day, I wish we knew more about all these silent years. I wish, I wish we knew more biographical information about these, these times that God says nothing of. I, I would warn you about something. Don't ever try to fill in gaps God didn't fill in. See, God told us not everything he knows, but everything he wants us to know. And there's some reason why this was the photograph. This was the snapshot that God gave us of the youthful years of Jesus Christ. It's everything, basically, that you need to know at this moment, not just about Jesus' youth, but this is what God says He wants to be true of your life. See, Peter said that we're to follow in His steps. If I said to you, 
Are you a Christian? You say yes. Let me tell you what that means. That's more than a name. That means you're supposed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It means literally that your life is to be patterned after the example that Jesus Christ left for us. And hold on, that's not just true when you, when you get grown. That's true now in your youth. I'm speaking this morning on starting right. We're at the beginning of this day. We're at the beginning of a brand new year on the threshold of it. And you are at the beginning of your life. And I think that these beginning principles from Jesus' life give us some insight on how to start right. In fact, I was thinking about this this week. If you just look at Luke chapter number 2, all of the real big relationships of life are summarized in one passage of Scripture. Think about this. You've got his relationship to God. That's always the most important. We'll come back to that thought. You have his relationship to his parents. You have his relationship to enemies. Because remember, the, the religious people that he's talking to in the temple are going to turn on him in the end. You've got his relationship to people who are seeking answers and looking for, for what's going on. You have his relationship to those who lived, or lived around him growing up. In other words, every relationship in life, this way and this way, you have some insight in how God wants you to start right in those relationships in Luke chapter number 2. So let me give you a few thoughts. We're going to start our list. You got your pen ready? Here's the first one I want you to write down. If you're going to start right, if you're going to make the most of your life, number one, write this down, you've got to be teachable. This is powerful to think about. That here is Jesus, who is the greatest teacher that ever walked the planet, but in Luke 2, he is not just teaching, he is doing some teaching, but he is also teachable. Somebody said, explain that to me. How could, how could the Lord Jesus be growing i don't know but i know he was as god he knew everything but as man there was a certain growth process that he went through both of these are true i'm gonna prove it to you everybody look in your bible at luke chapter number two and verse number 46 every time i stop you say the next word ready verse 46 and it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors both hearing them and asking them and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and... I want you to circle the last word of verse 46 and the last word of verse 47. In verse 46, he's asking questions. And in verse 47, he's giving answers. You know what that is? In verse 46, you've got a picture of his humanity. He's all man. And in verse 47, you've got a picture of his deity. He's all God. He had a spiritual understanding already at 12 years of age that these doctors of the law who studied the Old Testament for decades did not understand. And yet, on the other side, there was a certain amount of knowledge that he was still gleaning from them, and he was growing in his understanding. Can I just tell you a little secret? You don't have all the answers. And in fact, the longer you live, the more you're going to realize you don't have all the answers. As a very young man, I thought I had a lot of things figured out. Now, as a 44-year-old man, I'm starting to realize I didn't even know what the questions were. In fact, let me, just, let me just stagger you for a moment. If you think you're the only person that ever questions things or, or reevaluates certain things or has to work through things, let me just tell you, that's not the case at all. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but somewhere in this room, there's a young man or young lady, you're grappling with things in your mind and you're, you're trying to work through them and you're almost scared to express it with your mouth because you're thinking, I'm the only person that's ever had this thought. Nobody else thinks like this. Yes, they do. Everybody works through things. Well, look, you, you are not 
at the end of this. You're just on the journey. And right now you're at a certain stage or season or step of your journey. And you're, you're growing. Could I give you a piece of advice? Stay teachable. Be willing to be instructed. The most ignorant person on earth is the person they think that thinks they already got it figured out. It's the most ignorant person. Do you know who the best teachers are? All of your life, I'm going to tell you who the best teachers are. The best teachers are the ones who continue to be students. They're hungry. They're excited. They're, they're thirsty for more. They're, they're growing. They're adding to themselves. And they're teaching you out of the overflow of all of that. I, I'm saying to you, if you're going to get started right, you better stay teachable. Here are a few applications of that. Look at verse number 46. The Bible says that they found him sitting in the midst of the doctors. So he's, he's going to the people that should have had the answers. It's okay to have questions as long as you know where to go for answers. He went to the people who were the teachers of Scripture. Could I recommend to you that you not get all your life counsel from people that have mo no more life experience than you do? That when you're making big decisions and seeking direction and trying to figure things out, that you don't ask somebody else who's all already themselves struggling with it and trying to figure it out themselves. That one wanderer can't help another wanderer find his way. That instead you should go to somebody who knows God and who knows God's truth who can help guide you along your journey. So he's going to the right place here. And then look at the verse again. The Bible says he's hearing them. I love, I love what the pastor said a moment ago about listening. And by the way, you all are listening extremely well right now, and I want to commend you for that, and I appreciate it. And if I might just pause and give you a little side note, a footnote to this, do this when you go back to your church. Because sometimes people come to youth conference, and they sit there and take good notes, and they say, I really like this. Then they go back to their church, get on the back row, sit with their buddies and talk through church and don't pay any attention. It's no wonder you're not getting anything from the Word of God. Listen, when people stand up to preach or teach the Bible, no matter who they are, Listen for God's voice. Forget who the speaker is and think of the one they represent. I'm not the preacher today. The Holy Spirit is the preacher today. I just get to be the messenger boy. That's all I'm doing. So you want to try to get yourself in tune with God on, on God's frequency. And that is more than just sitting up looking at the speaker. <laughs> How many of you know you can be in a room and not in the room? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like you can be in the meeting and not in the meeting. I've been there. We're not talking about that. We're talking about being so wide open to God, so, so ready for God to speak, that when God just whispers your name, suddenly you know God's trying to tell me something. God's trying to show me something. That's why Jesus said, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's why in Revelation it says, hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That's not physical hearing. That's spiritual hearing. In fact, I've got some deaf friends. I think sometimes people who don't have the physical hearing we have hear certain things better than we do. And I'm going to tell you why that is. Because they're not so distracted by so much noise in this world. And you, you may have perfect hearing, but that's not what I'm talking about. Are you listening for God? When you came in that door this morning, did you actually expect God was going to speak to you today? Or we're just going to have another conference and we're going to have a little fun and we're going to see our friends? Or Are you listening right now because you want God to teach you something? Do you, know what this, do you know what this example says to me? It says to me that Jesus was hungry and thirsty to grow. I'm going to tell you what the drive of life is. It's desire. You don't get, listen to me, 
You don't get what you say, you get what you want. I'm going to prove it. Everybody hold your place here. Just put your hand right here. Hold your place. Coming right back. Go to Proverbs with me. Fast, fast, fast. Go to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18. This book of sentenced sermons. Look at this verse. This, this verse helped me. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Everybody stare at Proverbs 18 verse number 1 because this is, this is life right here. You all know how life works? This is how life works. Look at Proverbs 18 verse number 1. Everybody wants to get to the last word. What's the last word of verse 1, class? Wisdom. Everybody wants to get, get to wisdom. Everybody needs wisdom. <laughs> Can I let you in a little secret? There's a divine order here. You can't get to the end of the verse without going through the first part of the verse. You can't get to wisdom apart from desire. Matter of fact, let's work backwards. Everybody go to the end of the verse, and let's go back upstream to where it all started. So we're going to end with wisdom. If you're going to get wisdom, then you've got to seek it. So back up one line in the verse, and you've got somebody seeking wisdom after wisdom. You're going to seek wisdom, back up just a second. You're going to have to separate yourself from some things and some people. You're going to have to be willing to step away, make decisions that put you away from others that are a distraction to that wisdom that you're seeking. And if you're going to separate yourself, back it up one more line, you've got to want it. There has to be a desire in you for that. You know why most people never really follow Jesus? They don't really want to. Let's just get frank. They don't really want to. Why Jesus said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's why the psalmist said, As the heart, as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. You got that kind of desire? You got that kind of hunger for God? You got that kind of thirst for all the Lord has for you? I tell you, any young man and any young lady that gets that kind of desire for God will pursue the Lord and will find all God has for them. You got to learn to be teachable. Let's go back to Luke 2 quick. Let me give you just a couple more, and we'll stop for this morning on my part. Number one, you've got to be teachable. Here's a second one I want you to add to your list. You've got to be submissive. Come down to verse number 51. Remember, Joseph and Mary didn't understand all this. They couldn't wrap their mind around all of this. But yet in verse 51, the Bible says, Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. He subjected himself, literally he submitted himself to the authority. Romans 13 verse 1 says, There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. You want to be right with God? Yes or no? Do you want to be right with God? Okay, now hear me please with your heart. You can't be right with God and wrong with God-ordained authorities. Watch this. Jesus could not have stayed right with the heavenly father and been bitter towards his earthly father and mother. Mm -mm, couldn't have done it. So he's demonstrating for us here what submission looks like. By the way, if you think submission makes you less, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus less God when he submitted to Joseph and Mary? Was he less valuable? Was he fulfilling uh, less of his purpose or more of his purpose? I'll tell you what I've discovered. I've discovered that when you submit to authority, it doesn't keep you from fulfilling your purpose and being the person God wants you to be. It helps you become that person. Everybody says, I want to be an individual. Nobody understands me. Listen to me, please. God understands you. And your Joseph and Mary may not understand everything God's doing in your life. And there are going to be times in life that even the best people, the closest people to you on earth, don't understand all that God is doing in your life. But I want to tell you something. 
They may not always be right, but it is always right for you to submit to God-ordained authority. Let me really blow your mind. Jesus created the world. Colossians says he created it all. He's the word. God created the world by the word. He's the word. But in Luke 2, he's going to work in a carpenter's shop. And Joseph's going to teach him. Now, here's how you use a hammer, son. He is going to teach the greatest lessons ever spoken. He's going to sit down on a mountain and give the classic Sermon on the Mount. But here, here he's going to receive instruction from Mary. A young woman who's still trying to figure some of it out herself, frankly. Interesting, isn't it? He's going to rule the world. You're going to see him on his throne someday. He's going to rule the world. But in Luke 2, in Luke 2, he's going to go live in an obscure village of less than 300 people that was so despised when people said the name of the town, they thought of the worst things. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I'm saying to you that in the silent moments of your life, in the period where you think nothing's going on, God is getting you ready for the rest of your life. And if you want to make your whole life count, start right now. And how do you start right? Be teachable and be submissive. And here's the third one. Be spiritual. Did you notice that in this passage, it's not just social, it's spiritual. You know, we're, we're living in a world where everything's about the social. Social media is the driving force. and it, The irony of that is we've got more social media than ever and we're less social than we've ever been. Less relationships, less communication, and more depression. We, we miss something somewhere. And yet, I want to say to you, it's not social, it's spiritual. Everybody look at me just a second. It's not this way, it's this way. Every other relationship grows and flows out of your relationship to God. Did you notice how the passage started and ended? In verse number 40, the grace of God is on him. And in verse 52, he's growing in favor with God and man. And notice the divine order here. Not favor with man first, favor with God. Some of you right now, you're struggling with family. You're struggling with friends. You're struggling with enemies. You're struggling with relationships. And do you know why you're struggling? Because you're trying to fix those relationships on your own. You don't get favor with man until first you get favor with God. You know why that is? Because God is the one who gives all favor. Do you need wisdom to try to work out things in your family right now? Then you need God. That's what you need. Do, do you need grace to deal with somebody who's tearing you down and criticizing you and gossiping? And I'm going to tell you what you need. You don't need to straighten them out. You need God. That's what you need. Are you trying to figure out how to be a better friend and what kind of person you want to spend the rest of your life with and what kind of relationships you're going to have with members of the opposite sex? And I'm going to tell you what you need. You don't need them first. You need God first. If you want to start right, then you've got to start right by being a spiritual person. See, you are not your body. That's just where you live. The real you is way down deep inside where nobody goes but you and God. You are a spirit being just like God is a spirit. Stop trying to order life from the outside in, and instead it needs to be from the inside out. Be spiritual. Be spiritual. 
I'll leave you with one simple thought. We'll come back to the passage tonight. I've got so many things in this passage I want to show you and study with you and apply. But let, let me just leave you with one. Turn one page in your Bible. Come to chapter 3. Now, once you found chapter 3, look back at me just for a second before we read the verse. It's fascinating to me. It's like God lifts the curtain and shows us baby Jesus in a manger. We just studied that, right? And then, boom, the curtain falls. And we know nothing. Suddenly, the curtain lifts. He's 12. He's sitting in a temple. It's the only snapshot of his youth, him, him being teachable and submissive and spiritual. And then, suddenly, boom, the curtain falls. Wait, Lord, we'd like to know more about those, those silent years. Well, no, that's, that's all I'm going to reveal to you right now. And then suddenly, a curtain lifts. And there he is. He's 30. <laughs> He's 30. Somebody said, well, what about all those youthful years? What about all the growing up years? What, what about all the development years? What, what happened with all those years? We'd like some more details. Well, I, I tell you what, we can't give you all the details because God doesn't, but let's just let the Heavenly Father, who knows His Son better than anybody, let's let the Heavenly Father tell you about all those silent years. Luke chapter 3, verse 22. Jesus is 30 years old. He's standing in the Jordan River getting ready to get baptized by John the Baptist. And the Bible says in verse 21, He was baptized, and then the heaven opened. Look at verse 22. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon Him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved son. Here it is. You ready? In thee I am what? Well pleased. Somebody said, tell me about all the silent years. All I can tell you is what the father told us, and it is this. The father was well pleased with his son all the way through. Let me tell you, the only thing I know about the youthful years of Jesus, you ready? He pleased his father. Why do you think that's the only thing we're told about the youthful years of Christ? I'm going to tell you why. Because it's the only thing you ought to be concerned about in your youth. Pleasing God. You live your life for one aim. What is it? Please God. You live your life for one purpose. What is it? Honor your Father. Obey what God puts you on earth to do. Some of you think 30 is old. Everything's relative. You know, everything's relative. I was preaching in a youth conference. I don't know. maybe even been here a few years ago. And I, in a message, I said something about being young, me being young. And we got in the car afterwards, and we were driving along. How many of you know you? Well, you don't know. You're not married yet. But your wife always tells you what nobody else will tell you. And she said to me, God, you used your day. She said, but there was one thing you probably don't need to say anymore. And I said, what's that? She said, you said you were young. I said, I am young. She said, not to them, you're not. It's true. We always think, that's old, that's old, all right? So let's make you old for just a second. What kind of life you want when you're 30? Let's hit the fast-forward button just a second. Boom, you're 30 years old, curtain lifts. What kind of life you want? What kind of marriage you want? What, what kind of children? Oh, wait, wait, wait. The people that know you in the community, what do you want them to think about you? Your reputation. What, what kind of life you want? Because you're choosing that right now. On the count of three, shout out your age. One, two, three. Good. It's a good age. Happy birthday. Wonderful. I want all of you to add 40 to it right now. Use your fingers, your toes, your calculator, whatever you have to do. Add 40 to it. On the count of three, I want you to shout out your new age. Ready? One, two, three. Mmm, man. You really are old. Wow. Somebody said, somebody said, Man, that's, that's a lot of years. Everybody look here just a second. It's going to happen just like that. 
39 years ago I got saved. And I'm thinking, oh, my word. Like, how did this happen? Where did my life go? Yeah. And just like that, you're going to turn around and your whole life is going to be lived or one great section of your life is going to be lived. Let me ask you a question. What kind of life you want then? You choose that now. Here's what, here's what I'll leave you with. You ready? The only way Jesus could start right in adulthood is he had started right in youth. See, some of you think when you graduate high school and go off to a Christian college and a lightning bolt falls from heaven, then suddenly, shazam, you're going to be the Christian you're supposed to be. Let me just tell you something. I graduated from high school, went to Christian college, graduated from Christian college, worked in a Christian college. And uh, I thank God for the places. And I love what you said about training laborers for the harvest, but I'm just going to tell you something. Nobody can make you the follower of Jesus that you must choose to be for yourself. Some of you, you're struggling. You're struggling with lust, and you think, well, someday, someday I'll get married, and then I won't have that struggle anymore. No, no, that's not the way it works. No, the seed that is planted in your life, that sin seed, it grows to fruition. And if you think suddenly you're going to cross some threshold and just it's all going to be smooth sailing, you got another thing coming. No, friend. If you want to start right in the other seasons of your life, then you need to start right right now. I'd like you to bow your head with me. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to give an invitation. In a few moments, Brother Burton's going to preach to us, and I'm excited about that, but I want to do something. I want you to pray right now where you are. Lord, speak to me today. That's all I want to do. Lord, speak to me today. And would you ask the Lord to make you teachable? Like Jesus sat in that temple listening, taking it all in, growing. Would you ask the Lord to help you sit here today and take it all in and grow? Father, I pray, give us a good start. Give us a good start to the new year. Give these young people a good start in life. Oh, give us a good start to this day now. Get us in tune with heaven and ready to hear all you want to say. Oh, give us this spirit that Jesus had and make us the people you want us to be. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.